Good move. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> well, good morning. Uh, happy to be here with you today uh, to, to worship God together, as we've already been doing, but also in the Word. And uh, my name is Steve Lombardo, and it's my understanding that there was a previous Lombardo in these parts at one point. And so if you like that Lombardo, good. I hope you like me too. If you, don't, if you didn't like that Lombardo, there's no relation, okay? So I'm a totally different Lombardo. And uh, I'm happy. Thanks for the nice introduction, uh, Dave. I've gotten to know Dave uh, over the past probably five, six years um, as the guys met to preach and talk about preaching and what, what the text is and really look up to him and admire him. And it was fun to learn that Paul was his son, as he said, too. And I've known Phil uh, practically my whole life. And uh, so my thoughts and prayers are with you guys as you deal with Phil. Um, and I uh, love him and the Chapmans very much. I'm excited that they're here, the family. And uh, so it's just really, really cool to be here and, and to bring God's word uh, to you this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and go to Romans chapter 7. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through uh, 25. And the title of the message is called The Battle Within... And you started this series, The Invisible War, battling against evil two weeks ago when Pastor Dave uh, started talking about the alert that uh, uh, there's a war going on. And I listened to his message and uh, the, the main idea that I took away from that was greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is a spiritual battle raging all around us. And a lot of times we close our eyes to it. But like the, the servant of Elisha, God opened up his eyes to see that there's a spiritual battle going on and we're part of it. But don't lose heart. Over this whole summer in this series, we want to remember that God is on the throne, that God's in control, and he in you is greater than anything that you come up against spiritually as you battle. And so this past week we saw ISIS comes out with more videos of, of killing people in horrendous ways. Um, God's in control. He's still on the throne. The Supreme Court made some decisions that we would probably disagree with, and God's on, on the throne. He's in control. But there's a spiritual battle raging, and uh, Dave uh, sounded the alarm that we would open up our eyes uh, to see the, the realness of it. And then last week, he had Kevin here uh, speaking about the devil and who our foe is, our ancient foe, and how he works and, and what he does. And uh, we remember again that the devil is a defeated enemy. The devil loses in the end. And we know the end of the story. Uh, God wins. Jesus wins. At Genesis chapter 3, we see the, the prediction about the devil losing. That the serpent, he would be able to strike the heel of the seed of the woman, which is Jesus, but Jesus is going to crush his head. Jesus wins. He crushes the head of Satan. And so today we come to another adversary, and we're going to look today at the flesh. Not only do we have an adversary in the, in the world um, and it, with the devil, but we also have an enemy within. That The spiritual warfare that we face also entails uh, a battle with ourselves. And we're going to see, Paul's going to give us a, really some amaz amazing uh, words to challenge us this morning as we look at the flesh. So... If you got your sermon notes there, you see that, that it's all blank, okay? That's uh, either a good thing or a bad thing. It's going to be a real short sermon or a real long one, um, but I want to start here. Let's define what the flesh is. When we say the flesh, and when the scriptures speak of the flesh, 
It really means this, our sinful self. Flesh means our sinful self. If you're a believer here today, you're a Christian, you've understood the Gospel. You've come to understand that you're a sinner. That you, like all of us, like sheep, have turned away. We've each gone to our own way, but the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And so we have sinned, we fall short, there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10, but Jesus Christ gives us hope because He lived a perfect life so that He could die on the cross for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God in Him. So Jesus died in our place, forgiving us of all our sins and also giving us His righteousness. So that when you die and stand before God, who is holy and righteous and full of justice, you don't have to answer for your sin because He will not see your sin any longer. He sees the righteousness of the Son, Jesus. And this is the glorious Gospel. This is the good news that you don't have to be separated from God for eternity, that Jesus paid it all on Calvary for you. And then He rose again. New life promised now to all who would believe in Him. This is the glorious Gospel. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? Are you a believer in Him? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? I pray that you are. If you are, the next question is this. Do we still sin? We're saved, we're forgiven, but do we still sin? I want everyone who hasn't sinned in the past year, let's raise your hand. Okay, nobody. Let's go to last week, just kidding. We won't go all the way down to ten minutes ago, okay? We all sin, don't we? And we struggle with sin. Martin Luther said this, In the Gospel we are forgiven of sin, and yet we do not cease to be a sinner. For thou hast flesh, thou shalt feel the battle thereof. The more godly a man or woman is, the more he feels the battle. It's a battle. It's an enemy. Our sinful self, our flesh, is an enemy of God and really an enemy that resides within. And so we do struggle with sin. Christians struggle with sin. Christians struggle with addiction. There are stories of those people who come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and their addiction is gone just like that. But for the majority of people, they still struggle, whether it be drugs or alcohol or pornography. Whatever the issue is, it's a battle that rages within because your sinful self wants what it wants. Could be gossip. You still struggle. Could be lying. How many people here have lied as a Christian. Cheating. I remember back in high school, for a couple of years of high school, I went to a Christian high school, and we had to memorize Scripture, and which was great, a great thing to do, but I always put it off till it was too late, and then the day came where you had to recite these Scriptures. So I remember taking a lot of time. I could have just studied it, but instead of doing that, I wrote out in really little writing the scripture memorization, and then I put it inside my clear plastic pen. And so then when I would go up to the teacher, I'd hold the pen down like this and just read off the scriptures. Now, 
I'm ashamed of that, by the way. And if you're kids, don't do that. That's bad. Um, but I was a believer. So why did I still cheat? I did it because my flesh wanted to. We're going to see today in Romans chapter 7 um, that I wasn't the only one who has sinned, that you're not the only one who struggles with sin. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, struggled with sin. And so we're going to turn to Romans chapter 7, uh, verses 14 through 25. That's our spiritual food for today. Then I'll pray, and then we'll get rolling. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word. Romans chapter 7, start at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, that you would come and be our instructor this morning, that we might be convicted of sin, that you would encourage us to do battle against the flesh, the battle that rages within each one of us, God, that we might be powerful witnesses for you and your kingdom. So Lord, I, I ask God that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, amen. You may be seated. So the big idea in this text is this, big idea. We will struggle with sin, but Jesus Christ gives us the victory. We will struggle with sin, but Jesus Christ uh, gives us the victory. Let's start here. If you're taking notes, this is point number one. The problem, the problem. The problem is sin. You see throughout this whole text, the battle is raging within Paul. I do not do what I want, he says, verse 16. And the law, then, of the law of God condemns me, verse 17. It's not I who, does it, who do this, but sin that dwells within me. Nothing good is in me. In my flesh, that is, he says. My sinful self. The problem is sin. Nothing good within myself. Matter of fact, the law of God condemns me. Because the law of God... Is, is righteous and holy. It's, it's the Ten Commandments. It's the, the whole body of, of the law of, of the nation of Israel is the law. It's what is holy. It's, it's our, our measuring uh, tool that we use. And we fall short. Why? Because we sin. 
So that's the problem. Turn back to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul starts out the book by talking about this problem of sin. And this is fleshed out all the way till we get to chapter 7, really. And he starts by saying this, For the wrath of God, verse 18 of chapter 1, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping thing. The problem is sin. Sin leads us in our flesh to worship created things. And that's the problem starting in chapter 1. So the wrath of God is being poured out on sin. Sin, which brings us to worship stuff that God's created. Let me give you an example. Uh, Food. I love food. Food is a great thing. What a good good and perfect, in many ways, gift from God. But we take food, and instead of worshiping God because of the food, our worship, our glory rests on the food, the created thing. And so now you have problems with food. You got um, overeating, you got bulimia, you got anorexia, which is also a distortion of that thing. And so the, the center of our worship, the glory, instead of rolling up to God, it's, it stays on the created stuff. And that's our flesh. That's what we do. How about um, sex? Same thing. God made that uh, for man and wife in marriage. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It, it should cause us to give God thanks for his incredible gift. But instead, it's distorted. Our worship, our glory doesn't roll up to God, the creator. It stays on the created thing. So now you have lust, and you have pornography, and you have people having affairs. It's not an affair, by the way. It's adultery. It's committing sin. Another Christian leader just came out saying that he had committed adultery, and he stepped down from his position, his church, a very popular evangelical believer, pastor. It's because... Our sinful self wants to rest on the created thing instead of worshiping uh, the, the Creator. I remember several years ago now, I went to a Cubs game. And I was sitting on the first base side in real good seats, only about 10, 15 rows up, so I could really see the field. I can't remember the team, but the Cubs were playing. Uh, Deion Sanders was on the other team. Now, some of you younger ones, you don't know Deion Sanders, but... Uh, Neon Dion played both football in the NFL and baseball. So he was a two-sport athlete, pro. And uh, he was one of the world's fastest men. And, uh, and so he got in to pinch hit. He didn't play in the field that day, but he got in to pinch hit. And I remember being on the first base side, he's in the batter's box, and he hit a ball. And it was pretty hard to second base. like a, Not just a slow grounder, but a hard ground ball to second base, and he was off like a cannon. Bam! Down that first baseline. 
And he's just growing in speed the whole time, and he got thrown out by a quarter of a step. And he hit a hard ground ball to second base, and he almost beat it out. And it took him three-quarters of the way to the fence to slow down. It was glorious. It was awesome. But instead of saying, God, you are so good. Look at what you made. Look at that, that you have made us and given us gifts. Instead, we worship the created thing. We worship the player. We worship the team. We worship the sport instead of creator God who is to be forever blessed. And so that's what we do. And that's the problem. The problem that we have is we want to do this all the time with things. Now, let me take a step back for a second. We don't want to do it as a believer, right? As a Christian, we hear the words of Paul, and can't you identify with this? Um, I have the desire to do what is right, verse 18 of chapter 7, but not the ability to carry it out. I want to do the right thing, but when it comes down to it, the battle is raging in such a hard way that I end up doing the wrong thing. The problem is, is sin. Now, the law, Paul fleshes this out before our text this morning in Romans, and it it can kind of be summed up in chapter 7, verse 7, and what he says about the law. What, What then shall we say? The law, is the law sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So the law of God reveals our sin. So when we see the rules and the regulations and we know we can't keep them and we can't live up to it, it reveals our fallen nature, our sinful self, our flesh. So the sin, the law reveals that, but then there's another law, and he's using this word law in a different way. It's really... um, the truth or the situation uh, in verse 21 I find there to be a law that when I want to do right evil lies close at hand so there's another law then so there's the law of God which is right it's the rules and regulations it reveals that I'm a sinner but then there's another truth the truth is that when I want to do that the good thing evil's right there and it's a battle And so this is uh, the problem. The problem is sin. Secondly, the process. The process. Let me just warn you, it's hard. The process is hard. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man. You can almost just feel Paul and his emotions. Have you ever been to that point in your sin? You just feel wretched, even as a believer. You have the joy of the Lord, but you failed. You failed for maybe the umpteenth time you've sinned and fallen. Wretched man that I am, Paul says, and what? who can save me? Who can deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is a hard process, but the The challenge is, 
is to get to see Jesus because he's the one that's going to give us the victory. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So who can save me? Who can deliver me? Jesus can. Jesus can. So you say, well, how does Jesus deliver us from our flesh? How does he help us do battle? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because if, if I'm not careful, this can turn into a message of uh, just try harder. Just do better. Just keep your lists better. But the sad thing is that's going to lead to one of two places. It's either going to lead to pride, because maybe you're a very disciplined person, so you can try harder, and you will do better, and you will keep the, the lists of the rules and the regulations, and then you can be puffed up and look at me. I'm keeping this. I'm religious. I'm doing it. Or it can lead to the other place, and that's despair. Because you can't do it. And you'll fail, maybe even later this week. And then you just be like, I I can't do this. I can't keep these laws and these rules and these regulations. See, that's religion. That's not gospel living. Gospel living is this, that we would see Jesus, and by seeing him more clearly and deeply, we would grow to be more like him. That's that's how we grow as believers. It's right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 12. Since we have such a hope, this is hope in the glory of Jesus Christ, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, speaking of the nation of Israel. But when when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, here it is, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the key to growing in Christ, the key to winning the battle against our flesh is to behold Jesus more. Is to love Jesus more. And the result of that is you become more like Him. So it's not about the rules and the regulations, but it's about Jesus and beholding and seeing Him, loving Him for what He's done for us. This is the key to spiritual growth. This is the key key to winning the victory. Now, we do have to try, don't we? We do have to try. As a pastor for, um, well, let's see, uh, 12 years, you see a lot of different situations and you see guys and girls, but I'm thinking of a guy in this case who wanted a job, okay? So I'm talking to him, you want a job? Okay, we'll help you. We'll pray for a job. He's like, yeah, I've been praying and praying and nothing's been happening. Well, have you put your resume out? No, no, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on the Lord to open up some doors. Well, have you talked to anybody? No, no. Have you followed up on any phone calls? No, no, I'm just waiting on the Lord, waiting. No, that's, that's not what we do. We had to try, right? We got to work. D.A. Carson calls it this in the believer's life. A grace-driven effort. It's not that the good works are saving you or doing anything for your salvation, but it's a a grace-filled effort. You see Jesus, you love Him, and I'm going to live for Him. 
That's what it means. Now, it's, I love my wife, and I do some things for her, and I don't just do them uh, to make her love me, but I do them because I love her. And that's the same way uh, that Jesus loves us. I don't do the laundry, by the way. Sorry about that, hon. Um, I get in trouble for that. just talked about that last night with some people over. Um, I hate the laundry. It's terrible. Uh, so today, in part of this message, I want to help you to see Jesus a little clearer, maybe in a different way than maybe you have, okay? Because I want you to win the battle against your flesh. I want to win the battle too. And the only way it is it happens is that we are changed from glory to glory as we view Jesus Christ with unveiled faces and we see his glory. And so this is a little break in the Romans. We're going to go to Revelation uh, chapter 4 and 5. So go to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. <clears throat> and I want you to see Jesus this morning. Where's the clock? Is there a clock in here, by the way? Oh, there it is. Okay. It's 11.45 already. Okay. Oh. Hour and a half left? Okay. I'll condense it down then. Um, so Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. Okay, stick with me. Written by John, the apostle. Remember, he's on the island of Patmos, right? He's exiled for his faith in Jesus Christ, his testimony of the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he writes this revelation. Jesus comes to him, stands before him, appears to him, and tells him what to write. And the first three chapters are the seven letters to seven churches in Asia. And so to one church, he says, you're doing a great job. Hang in there. I see you're suffering. I'm with you, Jesus says. And another one, Jesus says to the church, you're neither hot or cold. You're lukewarm. I'd rather just spit you out of my mouth, Jesus says. Okay, so... By the way, what would Jesus write to Village Bible Church in Indian Creek? What would be his letter? And then in, in chapter 4, we are ushered into the very throne room of heaven. John is taking there, taken there in the Spirit, and he gets to see God Almighty on his throne. And the, the things that he sees are just incredible, and it's hard to even explain and so he uses these words in Revelation. It's called apocalyptic literature. So a lot of the words represent different things, and we have to really dig deep to understand what he's, what he's speaking of. But he sees God on his throne, and he sees angels, all these crazy angels around him. And I say crazy in a respectful way, but they're, they're powerful, and they're, they're not of this world. And they're day and night, never ceasing to say this, verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So they were saying that 2,000 years ago when John wrote that. They were saying it at the moment of creation when God Almighty spoke the universe into existence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They will be around the throne of God saying that for eternity because of God and who He is and how great and mighty and awesome he is. And then chapter 5. We see the throne room, but now something starts to happen in the throne room, and John begins to watch this. There's God on his throne, the angels around worshiping God. Verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll 
written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. There's a scroll. God has it in His hand, and it's sealed with seven seals. Seven is the number of perfection. The words on the scroll are the words of God, but they're sealed. They're closed. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Now listen, here's what it is. The scroll represents the plan and purposes of God Almighty. That's what the scroll is. It's the Word of God. It's His plan. It's His purposes. It's salvation. It's forgiveness. It's goodness. It's righteousness. It's holiness. It's the defeat of the devil. It's all the the plans and purposes of our sovereign God Almighty. And God says, who, and the angel says, who's worthy? And nobody can open it. Not anybody in heaven. Not anybody on earth. Not anybody under the earth. The devil can't open that scroll. Nobody can. No kings of, of the earth can hope to do that. Verse 4. John says this, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Why are you crying? John. John's crying because the plans and purposes of God are thwarted. They're not going to come about. Forgiveness is not a reality. Salvation is not possible. Righteousness is not coming. Evil will win the day because nobody can open the scroll and John weeps. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Let me ask you, who is the Lion of Judah? Jesus. So he says, hey, John, don't cry. Look, the Lion of Judah. And when he looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a slain lamb. That's Jesus Christ crucified for us, for our salvation. So he is a lion. He's the Lion of Judah, and he's coming back as the rider on the white horse, Revelation chapter 19. But he's also a lamb who was slain for us. So he takes the, the scroll. He's able to do it. And then they sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth Then down to verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Jesus died for you. Jesus shed his blood for your forgiveness. Jesus died to bring you back to God as his people. That you could be in heaven. You could be part of the the numbers that are rejoicing in heaven before the Lamb of God and the throne. Now this picture of Jesus, I'm just going to end it 
here at the beginning of the letter, chapter 1. John says, as he's writing to the churches, he says, Grace to you and peace from Him. This is verse 4 of chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ. Now look at the, the threefold description. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. First, Jesus is the faithful witness. What nation was called to be the witness for God in the Old Testament? Help me. Nation of Israel. So they were called to be the witness, the faithful witness. They failed. Who's called to be the witness uh, for God in the world now? Uh, The church. Um, But we will fail in many ways, won't we? We'll make mistakes. We'll sin. We'll lose our battle to the flesh from time to time. But Jesus won't. Jesus is the faithful witness. And it's in Him we have our faith and our hope. And then He's also called the firstborn of the dead. Now I love that word, the firstborn from the dead, the first one to come back from the dead. I like the word firstborn because if there's a firstborn, there's a secondborn. And there's a thirdborn. And there's a fourth and there's a fifth. And there's me going to be reborn one day through the power of Jesus Christ. And then He's the ruler of the kings on earth. There's nobody like Jesus. He's the only one that can take the scroll. Now listen. A guy like that, with that resume, he can pretty much demand to be worshipped, can't he? He can pretty much force people to worship. He doesn't have to ask permission. But instead, look at the text. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him who loved us. And he died and gave his blood for you and for me. So if you would turn to him, you could be saved. This is Jesus. He's got all the power of the universe, yet he loves you so much that he died for you. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get cleaned up, to clean up your act while you were still sinners. Christ died for you. I like to say this. And even in light of the gay marriage stuff, I say this. It might catch you off guard at first, but stick with the whole thing. God loves you just the way you are. You know that? Because he died for you just the way you are. But God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. He's called you to become like Jesus. And so he changes us and he he works and he molds us. Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for good for those who love him. Yay, I love that verse. But what is the good that he's working together? Verse 29, so that we be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so he loves us so much that he changes us for the good and for his glory. Thirdly, and then we're done, uh, the product. The product is Christ-likeness. The product is Christ-likeness. 
when we battle against the flesh, when we fight, we do it to become more like Jesus. This battle goes on, it rages, and we continually are challenged and we want to fight and keep fighting even though it's hard to fight because we're, in the end, by God's grace, going to be better off for it. We're going to be more like Jesus. We're going to be more holy. We're going to be more righteous. Are you fighting this battle this morning? Are you fighting it? Or are you just kind of, I'm a believer. Just kind of doing my thing. Or are you actively fighting uh, your flesh? It's a hard question for me even this morning to talk about for my own life. Um, Because it's easy just to coast in it. And not to bring everything under the lordship of Christ. God help us to do that. So let me ask you these three questions to, to check yourself. Are you fighting this battle? The first one is this. Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Are you saved? So well, how can I know if I'm saved? How, how can I really know? John 15, Jesus says this. If you abide in me, you will do good works. You will bear fruit. I'm going to read it so I don't butcher it that bad. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear bear more fruit. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The first thing that tells you if you're a believer or not is abiding faith. Do you have abiding faith? It's not perfect. It's not super strong all the time. But throughout your life now, are you believing in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in Him? That your sins are forgiven and you're His child. Abiding faith. That's how you know that you're a Christian. But then the second part is, are you bearing fruit in your life? Verse 8, Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So the bearing of the fruit doesn't save you, but the bearing of the fruit proves that you are saved. So are you a Christian? Do you have abiding faith, and are you bearing fruit? doesn't have to be a huge harvest. Maybe it's been a dry season for you, but are you, the trajectory of your life is onward and upward, abiding faith, bearing fruit for the Lord. Second question is this, are you fighting? Are you giving your your all? Are you giving it a grace-driven effort? Know this, that God is not our Heavenly Father waiting to throw a lightning bolt down on you when you fail in your Christian life. That's not who God is. That's not who our Heavenly Father is. I remember when my firstborn uh, began to walk. That was so exciting. Uh, your second and third ones, it wasn't that exciting, sorry. The first one was really exciting. And so what did everybody do? Oh, Trey's getting ready to walk. Get the camera, get out, and uh, he, you know, he's letting go of the coffee table, and he's about ready to go, and he, he step away, and the weight of the giant head pulls you forward. <laughs> and the only way he can do it is just put one step in front of the other, and then he falls, and everybody cheers. I didn't go up to him then and say, you're pathetic. Get up. You should have been walking three months ago. That's not who God is, right? So when we fall, God isn't there to throw a lightning bolt at us. He died for our sins. 
God's there, and he says, get up, you can do it again. Get up, you can go further. But we have to get up. It's a grace-driven effort. Are you fighting? Lastly, third thing, to examine yourself. As you examine yourself, know this. This fight will always be with you until you see Jesus. This fight will always be with you until you see Jesus. Now, this is what Paul writes at the end. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The battle's going to always remain. Until we get to glory, until we're changed completely into the image and likeness of Jesus, we're going to have that battle. Some days they're going to be easier or harder than others, but that battle will remain. So I ask that you fight. You provide a grace-driven effort because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So I'm going to close in prayer, and we're going to sing as we close. Lord, we just give you thanks this morning uh, for who you are and what you've done for us. Thanks for being worthy to open the scroll, Lord Jesus. God, we praise you for your forgiveness, that you are so powerful and um, incredible, and yet you love us, and you freed us from sin by your blood. So I pray that we would live for you out of a response, that we would have abiding faith, that we would be bearing fruit for you. So help us, God, Holy Spirit. We can't do it by ourselves. We need your strength to battle our own flesh. And so we invite you into that battle, knowing that there is none like you. Greater are you in us than he that is in the world. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.